So this is Kenny Duceau and I'm here with Adam Price of 100% Raw Powerlifting. So Adam, thanks for coming out. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, so first, if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background in sports. Um, well, I wasn't really a big athlete when I was growing up. You know, I, I was one of those guys that you see in the in the, the gym kind of wandering from machine to machine, kind of moving the thing until it hurt and then <laughs> went on to the next thing and moved the thing. And I, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And, I I can actually pinpoint the exact time that I got into powerlifting. It was April 2003, and it was you know one of the Calgary snowstorms that we had, just a gigantic snowstorm. Yeah. And I had to walk back a little bit. Uh, the couple months prior to that, uh, my wife and I were mountain bikers, and we, I, I was noticing that I was getting, she was just kicking my butt all the time, kicking my butt. So I went, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to run, uh, I work downtown, so I'm going to run, run along the river, get my cardio up so you know I can keep up with her. And the more I ran, the more tired I got. So I uh, went in for a blood test. Uh, and of course, that blood test was a fasting blood test. So I woke up in the morning, there's a foot of snow. I'm like, screw this. I'm going to get my blood tested. I'm hungry. I want to get it done. Drive to the, drive to the doctors. Uh, it took me like an hour. It would have been a five-minute trip, but it took me an hour in the snow. Came back. I got home. And within about five minutes of me getting home, there's a phone call. And uh, it, was the, it, was the, it was the lab saying, you need to get back here right now. I'm like, it's a foot of snow. It took me an hour to get back and get back here right now. So, you know, not a good sign. So my wife... (laughs) Not the first thing you want to hear, for sure. (laughs) Especially not during a snowstorm. So uh, my wife and I uh, packed in the car because she was noticeably nervous as well. And we get to the the lab and my doctor, the the family doctor is waiting at the lab for me. And he goes, "Uh, I don't know how to tell you, but you've got cancer. Oh, wow. And we're going right to the hospital right now. So apparently it turns out I, got, I had leukemia, and uh, leukemia's, uh, the leukemia I had is when your uh, white blood cells kind of grow out of control, mm-hmm. and I was basically being suffocated from the inside out because I don't, oh. I, I did, my red blood cells weren't able to get the oxygen to them because there's so many white blood cells. So I spent about a week in the hospital, and uh, for the next year they put me on a special medication that kind of killed the white blood cells as fast as they were making them, so I was able to live kind of a normal life. but. We knew that bone marrow transplant was coming down the road at some point. Um, so uh, I said, you know, I said to my doctor, okay, what do I do to prepare for this? He said, well, you're going to lose anywhere from 50 to 60 pounds of body mass uh, when you go into the hospital, so you know, beef up. And so I went, okay, well, how do I beef up? And one of my friends said, have you ever tried powerlifting? <laughs> so so, so I've got, I have a cancer diagnosis. The medication has got me basically back to normal. And uh, I found a guy named Bruce Greek in Okotoks. And I phoned him up and said, here's the deal. I've got cancer. I'm probably going to have to go in for a bone marrow transplant, so I'm going to need to bulk up so that when I lose the, the, the muscle mass, I'm coming out, you know, somewhat healthy. He's like, yeah, no, sure, no problem. Uh, he was part of what was called the GPC, the Global Powerlifting Committee. Okay. Uh, they were a non-tested federation and the, the multiply, yeah, stuff like that. But, you know, back at the time, Back in the day, there was only the IPF and the GPC in, in, in Alberta, which is yeah. single ply and tested or double ply and untested. So he taught me how to squat, he taught me how to bench press, taught me how to deadlift, that kind of stuff. And I went from about 180 pounds to about 220 pounds. So Not too bad. <laughs> it was pretty good. What's uh, the timeline on that? Uh, about a year. Okay. okay. Yeah, and then uh, about uh, November 2004, uh, that, was the, that was when uh, the medication I was on wasn't fighting the, the white blood cells as fast as they were being created. So the problem with that is if you let it go for a lot, uh, any longer than that, you can get a more aggressive form of leukemia. Okay. So they said, okay, let's get you in, let's get you a bone marrow transplant. And so 2004, I went into the hospital, did it, I was out for a year, I came out of the hospital about 160 pounds. Oh, wow. So they weren't kidding, 60 no. pounds of body mass. No, yeah, it was exactly right, yeah. And then it took me, like after the year was up, I got back into lifting again and I remembered all the things that I remembered. and. At that time, Bruce wasn't training anymore, so I found a couple other guys that were in the same kind of... Like, at the time, I didn't know any different, so I, I, I found those guys that were in the GPC and went, hey, I think I'm back to normal, and it was 2008 when I did my first powerlifting competition. It was a bench-only competition that I did. I think I got one for three. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a gong show. We've all been there, right? Oh, yeah. It was, it, 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 it was, a, it was a, everything that I could do wrong. Like, I warmed up too fast in the warm-up room, that kind of stuff. But then uh, I kind of got things dialed in. I went to the World Championships in 2008. Wow, congrats. Uh, well, it, 
at that time there was only like 20 of us and okay. we all went to the oh, okay. yeah but the cool thing though was my bone marrow donor lived 100 kilometers away from the venue of the 2008 world championships so his entire family got to see me lift with his bone marrow in it. That's it, amazing. It was, it was awesome. That's yeah, such a cool came story. Came dead last. I was, <laughs> had no business being there at all. Uh, 2009, I went to France for the World Championships and got first place in the 90 kilo class. So wow. I figured it out. Some um, got some stuff. Like, yeah. what did you change in that time? Like, what oh, was no, it was, it was just a matter of uh, learning and figuring out how to do stuff. Yeah. Uh, 2009 is where things changed. Uh, I, the, the, the people that I had been training with had never offered me anything. I'd never taken anything because, you know, when you have experience like I had with like, all the drugs going into you, yeah. you just go, you know what, no more. I, I don't even take Advil anymore unless I have to. Yeah. Just because, you know, it's, it's a pill. and just, I don't know. But, uh, so yeah, 2009 was the first time where anyone offered me anything. And I knew for a fact, and because the guys admitted it, that, the, that my competitors in 2009, they were, all, they were all on something. Yeah. And the only reason I won is because the guy blew a hamstring on his last deadlift. And oh, wow. He, and he, he, he had missed his first, missed his second, and then he needed a third to qualify, and he blew his hamstring on his third, so that's why I won. So on the plane flight back from France to Calgary, I was like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something out there that doesn't have equipment, that doesn't have drugs, gotta be something so I started yeah, researching on the internet and found 100% raw and emailed them up and said hey uh, can I start something up here in Canada yeah. and then the rest is history me personally uh, I've competed 31 times now uh, my best uh, my best squat bench and deadlift are a 292 kilo squat 212 bench and 295 deadlift Wow. So, so in pounds, what would that be? What would uh, that be it ends up being something over 1,700 pounds for a total. 1,700 so it was, But it's taken me a long, slow time to get there. It's yeah. been, well, 31 meets of constant kind of hills and valleys, and, and uh, I'm not getting any younger, so I'm hoping I can get some more out of these before my body starts to break down completely. Yeah, but, of course. Uh, but yeah, I mean, part of that is just the, the group that we formed. They're really, really supportive, and... Uh, yeah, this last meet that I had was my best meet ever, and my teammates pushed me hard. And, but that's, that's about it for me. Yeah. So the two federations around before yeah. we before you brought 100% Raw into Canada were yeah. those, the GPC and the IPF? Yeah, I think there was also the Canadian Drug-Free Powerlifting Association. Okay. But I couldn't find any meets that they were holding at the time. I think they only hold one meet a year, and I think it's in Lethbridge. Okay. So... Uh, but yeah, the two big ones were the GPC and the IPF, or yeah, CPU, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the IPF is the biggest one in the world. It, yeah. it is what it is. And then everyone else is a little bit of a fringe. But, I, you know, it's uh, there's something fun about being on the fringe. That, yeah. You know, it's a little, 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 little tastier to being, being on the edge of the, of the, of the scene. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, it allows us the creative freedom to kind of do, to have a little more fun with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah, so, like, wow, your story coming into the sport is pretty unique. That it's, was, it's, it's not your normal story, no. Yeah, of course. That's not, for sure, not what I would have expected when you said I could pinpoint the day that I got into it. So. But that's awesome. It's, like, that's one thing I've always loved about this sport is how it can really include anybody. Like, you don't have to be an all-star athlete or, you know, you can come from anywhere. And this is something that, you know, as we discussed before we started, we started recording, that 85-year-old guy at the meet that, yep. that we were at and... It doesn't matter when you start. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. It's inclusive of everybody. Yep. Because I know myself when I was growing up, like I was never all that good of an athlete. And as much as I tried and as much as I kept going at it, powerlifting was sort of the sport where I found a little bit of success where it was like, you know, the fact that I was slow in all my other sports didn't matter here because I could pick up a hell of a lot more mm-hmm. weight than the guy beside me could. Yep. And it's, it's, it's honest, too. Exactly. You know, I mean, I played hockey before I got into powerlifting, and uh, you know, I think every, every kid in Canada has played hockey at some point. For sure. And you, know, you have those games where you just, you're terrible and your team wins, and you have those games where you try your best and you score a couple goals, but your goalie lets in three and you lose anyway. And yeah. Powerlifting is the only sport, I think, that's out there that is really the universal you know, indicator of where you are as far as fitness goes. I mean, if you put 300 pounds in a bar and you can't move it, and then you put 300 bar, pounds in a bar two, day, two weeks later and you can move it, you've gotten better. Yeah. And that's on you. Yeah. Same thing as reverse. If you don't put the work in and the next week you're, do, you're doing 280 pounds again, that's on you. Yeah. You know? It, but 
one of the one of the best parts and then one of the most frustrating parts sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, for 100% Raw, we've had four-year-olds in the platform and we've had 92-year-olds in the platform. Really? So it's, the, it's, it's that much of a swing. The range is that wide. Oh, it's huge. That's amazing. It's ridiculous. And when we, when we first started, it was about 80% men to 20% women. And the last few meets that we've had have been about 60-40 in the favor of the women. Wow, yeah. So, I noticed that at the one, uh, the one at Bedrock was... Yep. Like, the female... When they came in, just sort of as we were finishing up, yep. there was a massive turnout. I was, I was loving it. That was like, oh. and the intensity, the intensity of the female powerlifting. I, I, I have never seen so much intensity from a lifter in my entire. If you want to watch powerlifting meet and you want to get that 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 intense rush, yeah, you don't stick around for the guys. You watch the women because they are just like, you know, eyes bugging out, neck veins bulging, like just everything. I think, I actually, I honestly think. Uh, female powerlifters go harder than male powerlifters. I really, really do. And you think I, there's anything, any, like, I, any reason I to that? I honestly or? have no idea, but I love it. It's yeah. just, like, at, at Bedrock, the one that yeah, you're talking about, if you'd stuck around to the end, I have never experienced energy like that in my entire life, because there are two people going head-to-head. Oh, that's uh, awesome. And in uh, in Medicine Hat, in the last meeting which we were just at, we had two female juniors in the exact same weight class, and they were literally hopscotching each other for the national records. Like, I, I, I swear the same national record got broken four times in the same meet. It That's was, awesome. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, it, like it, you can't help but getting all pumped out, pumped up. You know, it's yeah, love it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, coming back to just like you sort of bringing this federation into into Canada, what was yep. the process? What was the process to making that happen? Uh, okay, so I, at the time I was also uh, doing the special Olympics. I was volunteering as, with okay. special Olympics powerlifting as well. Uh, because Special Mixed Powerlifting was sending their athletes to the GPC meets. You know, they'd yeah. send four or five of their athletes, and you know, they'd do their, their thing. And I remember, what was it? It was 2000, and I think it was actually still 2008. Uh, I didn't know Special Olympics existed at that time for powerlifting okay. because you know I just you know I, I had two two young kids, a brand new wife. I was just getting better, that kind of stuff. A little and, bit more on your plate. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm sitting in the warm-up area, and all of a sudden you hear drum and bagpipes. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So, you know, I pull the curtain across, and the entire Special Olympics powerlifting team for Canada is being escorted into the building with drum and pipe. It was awesome. That's sweet. And so, like, right then and there, I was like, what can I do to help this out? Yeah. And so uh, I, I talked to the, uh, the head of uh, Special Olympics powerlifting in, in Calgary, and I said, hey, what do you guys need? And they said, well, you know, we, like, we want to hold events, we need coaches, things like that. And I had a little bit of extra cash, so I bought an ER rack and some uh, Ivanko calibrated plates. And you know, the the thought process was to because we we didn't have a good bench for the the GPC team, so we were going to use that as a bench. They used a monolift at the time, so they didn't want to use it for the squats. But um, the Special Olympics guys started using that bench uh, for their meets because um, it turns out that when you, like the Special Olympics provincial games and things like that. Uh, you know the the track athletes were on the cleat tracks. The the swimming athletes were in the, like the Olympic sized swimming pools. Yeah. But they were just dragging out the gym equipment from the from the, the gym to for the athletes to, to compete on. And you can't compete on gym equipment. Oh like, God it's, no. Like, you know the, they they needed to have something of equal value. So that's that's why I bought my first yeah, my first ER my first set of calibrated plates. It's awesome. Yeah. And plus I get to train on them, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bonus. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, I, I got into that. I got derailed here. Where was I going with this? Um, um, getting into just sort of how the federation, how oh, yeah. the federation came to be, and yeah. So I found myself with a calibrated set of plates, and like I said, coming home on the plane uh, from France in two thousand nine, I was like, "There's got to be something better. I, I don't want to have to deal with drugs. I don't have to deal with equipment." But there wasn't anything I could find in Canada. So I called up. Uh, I emailed Paul Bossy from One Hundred Percent Raw, and I said, "Hey, I've got an ER rack. I've got a uh, thousand pounds of calibrated plate." I want to hold an event. What, what do I need to do? So, uh, J- July 2010, we had a meet uh, at the Blackfoot Inn. I think there were about 20 athletes there. We lost about three thousand dollars. <laughs> but you're off to the first start. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, it's, uh, and I, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to do this a couple of years, and if it, if it flies, it flies. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. So uh, 2010 was our first meet. Yeah, like I said, Blackfoot in uh, 20 people. But because I had to buy the curtains, I had to buy the scale, yeah. I had to buy all that stuff. I had a friend uh, drive uh, the warm-up racks from the University of Alberta from Edmonton in his truck. He drove he drove wow. down here. Uh, so yeah, it was a it was a bit of a gong show. We had a good time, but uh, yeah, it cost a lot of money. 
then the next year we had another meet, same place, and yeah, we lost another three thousand dollars because once again, thirty people. But this time it was thirty people instead of twenty people. So a little bit of progress every time. Yeah, and then twenty fourteen we had a great meet, and we actually had someone from Ontario kick in, so they were doing meets in Ontario. But that was the same year that the uh, the IPF came in with their classic division. Oh, okay. So all the people who were feeling like me. Uh, we're like, oh, I, I, they, like we were starting to get really, really busy, and all of a sudden, the the IPF basically came in and chopped the legs out from under us. So 2014, I was like, okay, I lost another three thousand dollars. Like my vacation fund for my family was going into losing money for powerlifting meets. Yeah. And then Herb Beckenstedt came along. He was he happened to be in the crowd of the last meet that I said I was going to do, and he came up to me. He's like, Adam, I really like this. I think I'm going to help out. And he he was the owner of an oil and gas company at the time. So all of a sudden, okay. it was just. Boom! Uh, so every meet from then on in, if there was a loss, his company absorbed it. Uh, he like he started sponsoring uh, athletes from Canada to go to Worlds, and as soon as you have that kind of that kind of channel, the the, the lifter base just kind of grew. Yeah. And right from the beginning, we said to ourselves, we're not going to be burdened with uh, red tape. We're not going to do that. Uh, you have to wear X, a certain color T-shirt or a certain kind of underwear. Or things, or you can only use these for certain brands. Uh, 100% raw was basically in the states. It was it was the the remedy to the problem of the over administrative, the you know the over. What's the word I'm looking for? Just like I said, the red tape. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, and it didn't go into like the the, the GP side, of, G, the GPC side of things was you know, you know death metal for 13 hours, and you know people popping pills and stuff like that. So you had that side on one side. Uh, the IPF with all their rules and all their regulations and no music and no fun and they said and I and 100 was just kind of like a happy medium yeah and that's how we decided to grow the sport we said to ourselves right from the beginning like the entire executive has a motto in 100 raw it's lifter first yeah whatever we do for any meet it's how does that affect the lifter and how do we make the best experience for the lifter because I'm a lifter there are six people on the on the executive right now. Four of us are active lifters. Two, the other two would like to be, but they're just busted up yeah. at the moment. They're they're wanting to get back on the platform, but you know, there are knee issues and back issues and stuff like that. But I can feel that too. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> um, like we're all lifters, and like I said, uh, like I said to you before we started recording, we don't make any money off this. Yeah. Uh, when we do make money, we're like the worst business people in the entire world. We give to charity, or we. We, we, we buy more uh, more elaborate awards, things like that, but yeah. everything that we do goes to the lifter. And that's where I find, I think, like what I said before before we started as well about, you know, just it was a different kind of feel at the meet that I went to in May. Mm-hmm. I think that sort of covered it, right? I think you hit the nail on the head, just <laughs> that administrative side with the IPF. I remember yep. the last IPF meet I did in 2015, maybe. Um, I was almost not allowed to lift, not because of a piece of equipment or anything like that. They didn't like the shirt I had on under the singlet. Yeah. And I remember it being like, I liked the whole setup of how they were ranked and everything like that. But just the fact that, oh yeah, your shirt doesn't work. What do you mean my shirt doesn't work? Like what advantage is that going to give me? Yeah. And it was just because they had a sponsor for the event and you had to wear something of theirs. Yeah. And. I, I don't want to sound like I'm crapping on the IPF no, or the no, CPU. No, no, of course. Because I mean, uh, like, there are a lot of really, really wonderful meat directors that are yeah. out there. But I would say that I've had... I mean, like, uh, every once in a while I go rogue, and I'll go off and I'll compete in the in, the, in an APU meet or a... Like, I, I do a semi-annual trip, uh, probably once every couple... Not, not semi-annual, biannual? I don't know. Uh, I go to Montana and do a USAPL meet. Because okay. the guys down there are fantastic. Yeah. They run a really cool meet... And you know, it's, a, it's a nice little road trip, but uh, so you know, there are good there are good people out there. Yeah. But they're just so bogged down by rules and regulations. Yeah. Can I can I kind of divulge uh, kind of divert and tell a story? Of course, here? of course. So, back to Special Olympics. It was 2010, and I was the coach for the national te- for the provincial team going to nationals, and the nationals were in London. So I had four athletes. Uh, one of them was visually impaired. Okay. And we're talking like he he could see maybe some shades of light and dark, but you know that was it. Yeah. Um, the rule in, uh, in in the the meet was being governed under IPF rules, and one of the rules is you can't have coaches on the platform. So and you get the one minute timer. Yeah. So I literally had to play Marco Polo with my athlete, and I kind of pointed him in the right direction and said forward, 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 forward. 
and he was used to my ER rack, and it was an illegal rack that was on the platform. So when he lay, he finally lay down and finally got his bearings. It was 55 seconds, so he hadn't got the bar out of out of the racks, uh, and they they called time on him and they gave him no lift. I'm like, this is a visually impaired athlete. I mean, like, how do like, you expect him well, to? How do you expect I, him to do I, that? I realize that rules are rules, but sometimes rules are silly. Yeah. You know, and I agree. Like, and that's something that again, I love the structure of the IPF and the way that it was cool going to meets and knowing, yeah. like, you know, I have to beat this to get a ranking, and I have yeah. to, you know, like, here's the national record, here's where you're ranked, and like, mm-hmm. you know, having to qualify for higher level meets and not just sort of being given, you know, yep. given way to worlds or nationals or whatever it was. Yeah. But yeah, that was sort of where I was feeling too, where it's like there's a lot of really good, but then there are just these things like something like that which is just yeah. nuts like and and that and that that experience is actually probably one of the most pivotal ones that I came to that yeah. I had that I had in my life when when the formation of raw happened yeah. and all that stuff because you know it's one thing to have strict rules on a platform and I'm fully supportive of you need to make depth you need to pause in the chest of course your knees need to lo- get locked out in the deadlift you I mean if you can't show mastery of a lift on a platform you shouldn't get a white light end of no. discussion however in between, like if you after you hear like you hear bars loaded, you do your lift. Once you hear the rack command, we should all go back to having a good time. Yeah. You know, and you'll feel that at our meets. Like you'll yeah. you'll feel like we're having a good time. We're having a good time. Bars loaded. <clears throat> you know, yeah. and, and everyone gets all real serious. And then we we judge the meet. We judge the lift, and we go on. And then they rack. Ah, and you'll see you'll see our referees. They'll cheer too. And we, yeah. But you like we we try and be as stone faced as possible <laughs> during the lift. But there just there are some lifters that you just you just can't help but uh, but just you know like I I I've I've been sitting in a chair going <laughs> yeah. Well, and there are just some guys you get behind. Like even exactly. in the competition that I was in, like you know watching I can't remember his name now. Um, he was I think a Special Olympics athlete. Oh, um, I. I, I, I think there were a couple of them at that one, but... Uh, yeah. Well, there's the one that I oh, know... Oh, uh, David. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I was in the warm-up room, and every time he came up, I knew, because I'd be warming up, and then I'd just hear the whole place explode. Yeah. And it was just like... Well, he, he brought about 25 people, too, to the meet, so... Yeah. He, he had, I think every single member of his family showed up for that one. That was but, awesome. But, I mean, yeah. David's another great story. Yeah. David is just... He's one of those guys that... He, he needs a platform to show off what he's done. He needs to be celebrated. Yeah. And... I'm not saying that he's not going to be celebrated in other places, but I think that he's he his parents know that he's going to get celebrated when he comes onto a hundred percent raw platform. Yeah. So and you know what? Yeah, he's not he's not a four hundred volts lifter. Yeah. He's not going to be a, a world champion ever. But the things that he's like his life circumstances have given him a certain set of uh, you know limitations and potential. Yeah. And you know. I've seen him jump up 30 books points a, a year for the last three years because he busts his butt. He's in the gym seven days a week, two hours a day, and he works his butt off. And it, that deserves to be celebrated to the absolute maximum we can celebrate it because yeah. that's what the sport's about. Absolutely. And that's one thing, like, you know, just that environment. I keep coming back to, you know, the culture that you've created at mm-hmm. your federation. And I think we've touched pretty well on sort of how you've developed that and sort of yeah. that idea of lifter first, right? Yeah. And I know that's something we always take into account here here at the Athlete Factory, too, is always about the athlete first. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what, you know, what anybody else is doing if it's not helping the people that mm-hmm. we're here to help. And that's how we choose our satellites as well. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're based out of Alberta because that's where all, uh, all the executive yeah. are from. But we've got a group in Squamish that are now running meets for us in, in BC. And we've got another group that just came on. They got sick and tired of the, of the CPU. And they, 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 they heard about us. And I actually flew out there last October to, to, to be at their first 100% raw meet. And once again, both of those pods, uh, well, well, pods is weird, uh, well, both of those groups of people, as soon as I walked in, they were the exact same type of person that we yeah. were, and they knew what we were getting at. We, they knew what we were trying to do. Yeah. And, you know, like let's have a good time. Let's be real strict with the rules and make all the records that people are chasing legit. Yeah. Like if you see a record on our books, you know it's legit. Yeah. Like, I can't. I mean, there's probably about three or four lifters per meet that complain to me about the the long pause on on a bench press for, from one of our referees. But you know it. Like I said to you before, I mean, if it's if it's not being if the rules aren't being followed on the platform, then you don't get the lift. Exactly. But yeah, so the BC guys and the the PEI guys, they're both exactly the same t- 
type of people. That's awesome. They, you know, it was, they, yeah, and, and I think that's why we're not growing as fast as we're growing because we've had people come in and try and do meets for us, and they try and do it in the form of the IPF, the rules and the structure, yeah. and it doesn't work. Like it, 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 it doesn't have the right feel. Yeah. So, and I think again that comes down to like that comes down to that motto: lifter yeah. first and yeah, absolutely. athlete first all the time. It's got to. Just like here, you can have five different athletes in a session, and you got to coach them five different ways. You mm-hmm. can't come to one and do it the same way for everybody, right? Yep, absolutely. And like, yeah, that's that's yeah, it's great to see. I love that. <laughs> I love that mentality. It's just such a nice, so refreshing when you've seen so many sort of we're going to do it this way or we're going to do it this yeah. way. It's so refreshing to sort of see it go. Yeah, you know what? We're going to care about the people who are actually involved. Well, and, and I mean, and we go crazy too. Like we've 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 actually had me. Like we had uh, our BC guys. One of the guys is a is a metal worker, and he actually made us a two person trap deadlift bar. And I don't know if you've seen any of the videos on this, but we had a meet at another. Uh, uh, it was a small single, un- totally unsanctioned. Yeah. None of the lifts that we were doing were like even remotely close to being legal. Like a two man deadlift. Uh, is number one, it's not legal, but also, we also had a costume uh, component as well, so you had to dress up in costume. <laughs> so my buddy Barrett and I, we dressed up as the Legion of Doom. That's awesome. And I actually, we actually went up and got the, the shoulder pads and yeah. we put the spikes on it, and face paint. I actually grew my hair out to the grew grew my hair out for like a month and then shaved it around so I could have like the two little side mohawks. Yeah, right? yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely, right. and like. You were talking, you know, about David and just the consistency with him of just yep. how you've seen his scores come up. Uh, just for anybody listening, the Wilkes score is how powerlifting meets are judged. So the highest Wilkes with your total. Uh, I can never remember everything that's included in that, but I, I can do a Coles notes of what you want. That'd be awesome. Actually. Yeah. So uh, basically, the Wilkes formula is designed to kind of give make everybody a universal weight. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna just give you kind of approximates. Let's yeah. say let's say you have a 220 pound lifter and you have a 165 pound lifter. You can't put them head to head by total because obviously the 220 pound lifter is gonna you know he's he or she is gonna have that that you know the size and the the mass to lift the heavier weight. So what the Wilkes formula does is it knocks a little bit off of the the heavier lifter score. It increases the weight the the total for the lighter lifter and it kind of brings them to like an, an average of about a 180 pound lifter. So, yeah, yeah, like for me, for example, I'm a 260-pound guy. My Wilkes score is 0.55 usually, around there. So that means that for every kilo I put on the bar, I get 0.55 points. Whereas uh, uh, we have a, a, a lifter, uh, she's, I think she's 60 kilo, and her Wilkes score is 1.2, or her Wilkes coefficient is 1.2, meaning for every kilo she puts on the bar, she gets 1.2 points added to her score. So she and I can compete head-to-head, because she gets a huge bump on her score, yeah. and I get a massive hit in my score, and it, it kind of compare, it kind of levels it out. Okay, so yeah, it's a little more simple than I even remember, but that, <laughs> but no, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. And so just seeing a guy like David, and I know, for example, the other one at that meet, Victor, who broke the world record deadlift. Yep. That was phenomenal to watch, yep. and I can't remember if it was you or if it was uh, Mike, one of the other judges that jumped into his arms after. But that, that, that would have been Mike. Yeah, yeah, that was just an awesome like. You know, back to that culture. That was just an awesome thing to see. Yeah. Both guys like that, you know, like obviously the consistency of being in the gym every day and that kind of effort that mm-hmm. they're putting into it. Yeah. Is there anything else that you're seeing from guys like that that are consistently sort of improving and getting to that sort of that elite level? It really is the fundamentals. Like for for lifters like Victor, and I know this for a fact because I mean I've trained with him. Yeah. Uh, I I've, I've known him for a long time, and I also know uh, the kind of training that uh, guys like David are doing. And the most successful lifters that I see in the sport are lifters who, uh, if you go on an Instagram you know, an Instagram of a of a lifter and you see them doing a reverse banded paused box squat tempo blah blah blah. Those are all fine things to do, but you got to have the fundamentals first. Yeah. And I think a lot of lifters go for uh, the flash over the like. Power, do it for the gram. Yeah. Powerlifting is boring. Yeah. When done right. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you do a squat right, it's just it's down, it's up. There's no it, it, there's no flash. There's no style. It just it is what it is. But yeah, it, every every good lifter I know who's consistently gaining a little bit on their totals and not getting hurt as well, has got a solid, solid, solid base in the fundamentals of the squat. I know the squat seems simple, deadlift seems simple, 
the bench press is sim deceptively simple, and I'm learning this the hard way. I'm getting coached by John Giffen. Okay. Uh, the, he, John Giffen is a 540-pound bencher. He was one of the best in the world. He's held an, an IPF world record, and he's coaching me right now in the bench press. And uh, the amount that I don't know about the bench press is phenomenal. Like the first time I went and trained with him, I, he goes, well, let me see what you got. And I did a bench. And he goes, well, that was good. That was good. And I said, well, uh, uh, so we have any pointers? He goes, well, we're going to try it again, but we're going to change everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's always what you like to hear, eh? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, uh, I think uh, I'm kind of known as a squatter. Yeah. And the, one of the reasons that I'm known as, uh, as a squatter is because I spent a couple of years learning from Bruce Greig. Okay. And, and Brian Johnson of the, of the, uh, the GPC. Yeah. Those two guys. Oh, it's our, and Mario Piatelli. Uh, those three guys are part of the GPC, and all three of them have had a thousand plus pounds in their back. So, uh, I mean, uh, yes, it's with equipment on. Yes, it's with maybe I don't know, maybe or maybe not a little bit of help on the side. But fun technically speaking, those are three of the best squatters that I think I've ever seen, and I owe all of my uh, my initial progress to them. And I, you know, and the, the lessons they taught me, like when when I went to go train with those guys. Uh, oh, it's Saturdays. It's bench days. So it's going to be bench and shoulders and triceps. No, no, it's bench day. Yeah. You know, it's two hours of bench. Yeah. Uh, squat days. Oh, we'll do squats. We'll do hamstring curls. No, no, no. It's two hours of squats. And you do it until you get it right. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I see, uh, guys like Victor, uh, they're very, very smart to, as soon as the first little tweaks and aches and pains start popping in, it's an instant shutdown and an, an analysis of, what is that uh, you're not pushing through I actually have a story a lifter contacted me literally about half an hour ago okay and there's a, we have a meet this Saturday and he goes uh, what's the highest level of Tylenol I can take without getting popped for a drug test and I'm like okay <laughs> sorry, why what <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so I emailed him back I'm like um why and I guess he, he tweaked his bag about three weeks ago and he's hobbling around in pain and he's basically living on Tylenol and Advil right now, and he wants to know what the highest strength of Tylenol is that he can take before he'll get popped for a drug test. And my advice to him was, this is, a, this is a sport where a slight misstep can put you on the shelf for a year, two years, or even for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, I read a stat one time that said that the average competitive powerlifter has a four-year lifespan. Yeah, I could believe that. So, I mean, uh, you can either be a flash in the pan and go for three years and then be hurt for the rest of your life, or you can be like a Joe Stockinger who's 90, 90 years young this year yeah. and still showing us all up. I mean, Joe's got a, a three times body weight deadlift at 90 years old. It's amazing. And you talk to him, and the reason that he, he can do that is because he's been smart along the entire way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at like, what makes a successful powerlifter, consistency, Fundamentals, 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 and being smart about listening to your body. And that goes for every athlete, right? Yeah. Like just no matter, you see the guys guys at the top level of any sport, you look at the NFL, the NHL, mm -hmm. athletes who are playing for those you know, 15, 20, 20 plus year careers, they're always the ones that yep. they're religious about what they put in their body, they're religious about how they're training, they're religious about taking care of themselves, and it just... Yep. And they don't listen to the fads. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, there's all, I mean, you can, you can jump on, like, how many fitness podcasts are, are there out there where they're, you know, hey, try this new supplement or try this new exercise or try this. Yeah. There's a reason why there are guys in the 50s and 60s squatting eight, 900 pounds, right? Yeah. The, and they didn't have the, the technology. They just had strong fundamentals and they were smart. Yeah. So. It's amazing how much stuff there is out there now, too, that, like, yeah. it's, and it's it's tough. I can say even from somebody with a background that you know working in a gym every day, it's tough when you hear like this new thing that comes out to sort of really sit down and analyze and go, <laughs> is this going to help me or is this pointless? Yeah. <laughs> I, I there's a there's a study that I just that just came out on. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a derivative of spinach, mm -hmm. and they did a study. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a like, they've they've something in spinach has shown to be like a very, very slight, it caused, caused a slight increase in squats. But the problem is, small sample size, uh, Not uh, the duration wasn't anywhere near there. But of course, you know, yeah, you listen a little longer and all of a sudden they're selling this particular spinach extract. I'm like, come on. Yeah. You, you just admitted that the study wasn't very big and it wasn't long and you're questioning the, 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 the standard deviations there and it just, you, you know. But buyer thing anyway. Exactly, yeah. 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 So. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Like you see it all the time with you know, like reading something or listening to something or watching something that there's mm-hmm. there's always new stuff coming out, right? And you never yeah. really know what's worth listening to and what's not. Yeah. But I love what you said just because that's something that, again, a kid can come in here at whatever age, whether it's eight years old or whether it's someone in their 50s or 60s coming in for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the first things we're going to talk about are exactly the fundamentals. Yep. Learning our basic lifts, learning our basic movements, developing your body to be able to build the strong base before you move on to anything that challenges coordination a little yeah. bit more. And There's a there's a 13-year-old lifter that uh, I, I came across her video on Facebook and uh, she was pulling in the United States and it, it, don't get me wrong it was a, like a 300 pound pull from a 100 pound uh, 120 pound uh, yeah 13 year old yeah but you know full on candy cane back like fully rounded over oh. and and half the people are you know praising and cheering and like, very few people are going uh, maybe you shouldn't do that and of course they're getting slapped right down oh, why are you taking away from our accomplishments no we're not taking away from our accomplishments yeah we're just you were, we're all cringing at the fact that that person there's one of the four year uh, powerlifters yeah you know that's a 13 year old that's going to be done by 17 yeah and and we see that all the time just well I think one of the biggest sports I'll see it with is football players in here where it's you know like can't you can't you can't sit out of a drill or something like that because mm-hmm. something hurts you got to just push through it and then yeah. all of a sudden you're limping back down the track and we're going what happened and it was something that happened four days ago and they just decided not to tell anybody about it until it got worse and think in the end how much have you really helped yourself Mm -hmm. okay you pushed through that one extra squat or this guy doing his meat anyway on the highest level of Tylenol he can yeah okay you did that one extra meat but then you're injured for however long because Mm -hmm. you tweaked your back again yep and in the end what's really going to be the best for you well I mean I I turned 45 uh, in February of next year and I know for a fact that I'm one injury away from being done. Like, at, you know, at 45 years old, you get that one knee injury, you get that one shoulder yeah. injury, and that just, that's it. Your chances are your shot. So I'm, yeah. I'm being really smart right now with my training. I've got a shoulder, my shoulder, my right shoulder's bugging me just a little bit. And yeah, as a result, you know, boom. I had a, I shut down my sets yesterday, and okay, let's, let's, let's figure out what's going on. Yeah. Is it just a, uh, an impingement, or is it something else? But, you know, it seems okay, so I'm gonna give it a shot tomorrow. But yeah, once again, smart like be careful with your body you get one chance one chance uh we don't have the technology yet to do the bionic limbs yet but uh, (laughs) one day hopefully one day exactly yeah then we can have the the bionic piloting championships (laughs) wouldn't that be wouldn't that be a spectacle the equipped gets crazy enough i can only imagine that um on that note though you're talking about like being one injury away sort of from feeling like you're done yeah um what does your recovery look like? So anything you're doing outside of just the lifting side to make sure that you're recovering the right way, make sure that you're staving off those injuries and yep. not allowing them to come through. So um, I've, number one, I've had the luxury of having a really good physiotherapist. Uh, can I drop his name? Yeah, of course. So Jeff Nessler. Jeff Nessler. Jeff Nessler has been putting me back together uh, since 2009. And you know, out of absolute fluke, uh, I worked in the same building that his physiotherapy clinic was in, and uh, I, can't, I, I tweaked my back. It was one of those ones where you're in a deadlift and you hear a crack, and all of a sudden nothing feels right. So I, I went to him, and of course, you know, for the first little bit, he's giving me crap about, well, maybe you shouldn't be going that heavy, blah, blah, blah. But you know, he and I have been together for a decade now, yeah. and uh, he's gotten to the point where he knows he can't stop me. So he'll teach me, like, not only will he do something to, make, to, to fix me up, but he'll teach me how to do it at home. Yeah. So, as an example, I have a couch in my. I have a. I have a gym in my basement. I've got a squat rack. I've got my ER rack, and I've got a couch. The cats sleep on the couch. If I'm watching TV, I'm doing active rehab. I've got the the, the foam rollers. I've got the, the the lacrosse balls. I've got a. Uh, I've got a jigsaw, one of those uh, electric jigsaws. Yeah. But I've got a, a a lag bolt jammed into it, so it basically fires the la- the, the the round part of the lag bolt into my back. So I can get the, the deep tissue massage, and I've got it uh, bolted to my squat rack. That's that, awesome. Uh, a, a two by twelve piece of wood <laughs> that I clamp onto my squat rack, and then I can set it with the safeties out yeah. on, you know, whatever I need to. So, it I'd say probably for every hour in the gym, I spend an hour and a half rehabbing something. Yeah. Just because I, you never know when something's going to go wrong, and as long as you can understand your body and know the early warning signs, you should be okay. And that's one of the one of the 
absolute most important things in my opinion is just making sure again that you know yeah you're training hard you want the consistency of mm -hmm. you know improving in the performance in the sport whether it's powerlifting or yep. anything else but it's such an overlooked part of it just yeah. being able to really take care of your body beyond yeah. just exertion in the gym and you also have to know know what your body can do as well yeah uh, one of the most it, one of the pet peeves that drives me absolutely nuts and I have there's there's always one or two of these athletes per meet and I don't want to make anyone feel bad but it drives me nuts as a, as a human like my me personally I couldn't operate like that is the lifters who show up and say uh, I don't know what my openers are my coach isn't here yet uh oh <laughs> <laughs> that means that you don't know where you are yeah and that also means that your coach or your handler can put a second attempt or a third attempt on the bar that maybe you don't you can't handle like yeah. if, if you have zero control over the output at a powerlifting meet that's one what that's that's another part of that control I was talking about yeah. know your body know what you can do like the handler or the coach at the meet should be the person that you dictate to to get things done so you tell your coach that felt like a nine RPE I can do 10 kilos more then your coach can come back and say I think you can do 12 and a half and there's where the discussion comes in yeah. but the lifters who just kind of run to the back and then the coach just you see them write down a number and go to them without any consultation of the lifter that's once again there's there's a recipe for disaster in there because you don't as a lifter you have zero control of what's on that bar yeah like it, it I don't know and it, and it could be just me personally but um, oh I completely I, agree I, I would freak out if someone put a number on the bar and I didn't know what it was until I walked out and I looked on this on the screen because like I've been loading plates for a decade. Yeah, I, I know what an ER, I know what a like, set of calibrated plates looks like, and I, I as I'm walking out, you know, just as a lifter, I'm counting. We're going one, two, three, four. One, two, three. Okay, okay I'll, and I'll do a double check because I've been under a bar before where they forgot to load a red. So I stood up and did the, you know, yeah. did the, 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 the the sudden jerk to the right as my spine exploded. When you got a nice <laughs> amount of weight on the bar, that doesn't feel good either. So, so yeah, I never want to double check the weight. And I mean, to go out on the platform and all of us, and at that point, know what you're going to be having to lift is, you, you gotta be, you gotta be prepared. Yeah, of course. And I mean, it's just self awareness, right? Like, exactly. It's one thing to have a coach telling you, you know, you got to move this yeah. way, you got to do this, but if you can't feel it, yeah. I don't oh, think oh, a, a coach is a coach is so underrated in this sport. Yeah, but it's more of a give and take. It should never be. It should never like the coach just says, "Here, here is your here's your game plan," and you try to you try out that game plan, then you say that doesn't work for me. The coach should also then like it, it's a constant negotiation. Yeah. The coach is there to push you, and you're there to give the coach feedback as to what works and what doesn't. So, yeah, there to help, but not there to take over. Exactly. Everything. So I, I mean to derail the conversation, but that's like a massive pet peeve of mine when when a lifter doesn't have any input into what what's going on in the meet. Yeah, it's awesome because that's actually something that like coaching here. That's something I always try to take into sessions, and I know a, lot, a number of our coaches have been working very hard at as well. Yeah. Is an athlete will turn to you and say. You know how much weight for the next set and instead of going oh exactly this amount every mm -hmm. time you sort of go okay how'd that one feel yeah and then if they're saying i don't know right away that's a red flag to me yes because it's like well was it hard was it easy you mm -hmm. know where would you put it out of 10 yeah. whatever kind of questions you yeah. use but if they're not feeling it right then if they're not aware of sort of i should be able to do this much more yeah how much progress are they really making <laughs> exactly and, and, and when you get to the, into the max level of lifting i mean uh, I know for a fact I've run in my back over a couple times, and uh, the guys that I that I train with, we don't we're not coaching each other, but we're advising each other. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like the, the last meet that I had, I ran my back over in the first meet on the first deadlift, and my my training partner went over me and said, "You got way more power, but you rounded your back." So I was like, "Oh, okay." And then that that let me kind of gauge what my second attempt should be. Yeah. Second attempt, fixed it up, boom, it flew up like crazy. And that's probably why I did the big jump that I, I went to on my third deadlift because I had that advice. That advice. Yeah. They wanted me to go for three hundred. I just, I didn't have the guts that day. <laughs> but but again, they were there to advise. They weren't yeah. there to take over. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the key comes in, right? Is like the athlete's got to be a part of that too. Yeah. I've, oh, I've got a, awesome. can I can I give you a funny story from, from Medicine Hat? Yeah. So yeah. one of my training partners, um, he's a really good deadlifter. Uh, he was deadlifting about 7.30, in, uh, and this is pounds, obviously, uh, in the gym. And uh, he went for 7.40 in Medicine Hat, and, you know, he, and he got it up. It was a new national record, and you know the, the crowd went crazy. And I was on the platform doing the, the, the plate loading and unloading. And so, of course, 730-pound deadlift, he's obviously the last person on the, on the platform, <laughs> right? 
So we're taking the plates off, and we got it down to like one plate aside, and then the, the you hear over the over the PA system, oh wait, he's gonna go for a fourth, and I look up, and it's only two and a half kilo jump, and I just looked at him and went, if you think for one second I'm putting all these plates back on the bar for a two and a half kilo jump, you're out of your mind. <laughs> so I said. Five kilos minimum, because I mean, you you saw on his third, he smoked it, right? Yeah, he, yeah. And it, but he was in uncharted territory at that point. So he, was, yeah. he was freaking out. Something he's never done before, but yep. So yeah, so it was <laughs> that's a little, awesome. A little bit of peer pressure, but we I mean, we all knew he could do it. So yeah, yeah, he ended up pulling it like crazy. It's it's like a twenty five second pull, but it's fantastic. It's that's great. awesome. Yeah, but you, you, so yeah. So moral of the story is have someone to push you, but always have that feedback that you can give back to that person, so that yeah. everyone knows what's going on give and take right exactly yeah exactly. I love that yeah um, and I think like we've touched on quite a bit here but I think one other question is I know powerlifting was a sport I got into at probably 15 um, and one of the things I absolutely loved about it was just like in life all the time you know from your story of getting into powerlifting there's so much change everywhere like there's yeah. always you know different things that are happening different things that are changing life throws curveballs like that one at you yep. and but in the meantime like you mentioned before and like 300 pounds on a bar is always 300 pounds on a bar yep. and if you can do it if you can't do it one day and you can do it the next day you've improved and it's consistent yep. and that was one thing that as a 15 year old kid I absolutely loved because you know life's, life gets crazy and that's always that's always there and it's always the same mm-hmm. if you were running into a kid sort of around that age or even younger because I didn't know we had kids as young as four, four sitting on the platforms but if you're running into a young kid that's sort of in that position where they need something to need something to focus on, need something to get after a little bit more, right? What would you? What advice would you give them about starting powerlifting as a sport? Well, for kids, uh, one of the things that we have, like one of the policies that we have for 100. percent I mean, I did say that there was a four-year-old on our platform. However, uh, before the parent put the kid on the platform, we were we made it very abundantly clear that if we saw anything, uh, de- any deviation of, of good form, that was it. They were done. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the key. Get yourself a coach that understands that you know, a little kid isn't going to be the next Olympian. Not yet. Yeah. But it's not too early to foster the love of the of the struggle of the fight. Yeah. And if you can teach a kid. To, to lift a weight that they thought was impossible before, then in life, they start going, hmm, well, last week in the gym, I did something I thought was impossible. This task right here in life seems impossible, but all the things that I've been taught over here say that I can push myself harder than I thought I could. Let's, let's apply that to this. I don't think I've ever seen a kid uh, get into a gym and start getting some strength and it, it builds self-esteem, it builds confidence, it it tell, it shows you how much you can push yourself, and then you can push yourself in other directions in life. Yeah. And as long as you've got a coach that isn't, you know, trying to create the next Olympian and or the next uh, Eddie Hall, and is just there like, hey, this kid is having fun, they're making some progress, uh, you know, let's just keep things, you know, as fundamentally sound as possible, and also give them a life too. Yeah. You know, it, it's. It's one thing for a forty-year-old to live in the gym like I do. I mean, I've got. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm too fat to run. I'm too fat. I, I'm too heavy to swim. Uh, I don't think uh, I'll ever dunk a basketball. So I mean, I'm I'm kind of stuck in a gym as my hobby for the next for the foreseeable future. But kids are a blank slate. Yeah. But a strong kid can uh, dunk a basketball. It's a, they can uh, go hard on a BMX track. They can uh, run the hundred meters real fast. Like, yeah. even if it's not, the, uh, if it, even a powerlifting or weightlifting isn't their sport of choice, it's still an accessory to get them a next, a little bit of a leg up, and help them enjoy the sport of their choice or the activity of their choice later on. Yeah. So, so just building that confidence, building that sort of that yeah. love of the struggle. I think that was like part of that that really ran ran yeah. true with me was that. Yeah love of you know you're pushing yourself in a way that you didn't think you could mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you know that other task that you run into in a different sport or in a different walk of life doesn't seem that hard anymore yep. because hey I just deadlifted whatever or you know benched whatever that I yep. thought was impossible maybe this task isn't impossible either yeah one and, one of the most irritating comments that I I, I hear is I'm not going to sign up for your meet because I'm not strong enough 
I guarantee you, and you, you saw this at the meet. Oh, yeah. I, I've got another Special Olympian story. Uh, so, especially Special Olympian named Matthew. Um, it was, I think, I actually think it was our very first meet in 2010. He was, he was, he was one of the members that was, was in that, that meet. And, you know, skinny little guy, 130 pounds. He had 200 pounds on the bar, and he started to pull. And it looks like, at first, it didn't look like it was moving at all. And then it was an inch off the ground. Yeah. And then it was two inches off the ground. Yeah. I swear to you, this was a 20-second pull. Like, <laughs> it, it was it was one of those pulls that it, he never went down, but he never, like, it was just, it was the slowest thing in the world. And this I, is the best to watch, I though. I think by the end of his pull, everyone was standing on their feet, cheering and crazy. Like, people respect effort. Yeah. I, and like in the same meet, some guy uh, you know, pulled six hundred like it was nothing on the floor, and he got a you know that's you know that's that's six hundred pounds is pretty impressive. Yeah. No one got a cheer as loud as Matthew that day. Yeah. And you know it's the effort and the determination and the I'm not quitting, and I think lifting weights teaches that better than any other sport. Absolutely, and I think it teaches I te- think it teaches how to bring that into other sports mm-hmm. as well because that's one thing for sure that. You know, you look at a coach of any sport, and what are they going to say? They're not always looking for the most talented guy, or they're not always looking for, you know, this or that. They're looking for the guy who's going to be the first one in and the last one out. They want the Rudy. Yeah, the first one in, the last one out, the one who's (laughs) never going to quit at anything they're doing, right? exactly right. I think that's an awesome, awesome place to end things off. I think that's a really great lesson to sort of leave everybody with here too cool. uh, Adam thanks so much for coming in I really appreciate, hey, appreciate it was, the time it was absolutely my pleasure I love yeah. talking about this stuff absolutely me too so this was this was great I really appreciate it and um, if you want to take a second too like uh, for anybody out there that might be looking to sign up for a meet or uh, looking for a little bit more information yeah. uh, if you want to give people sort of where you go to find where you go to find 100% raw and what the process looks like to sign up for a meet and get get started if this is something they're looking to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our website is probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of us. Uh, it's www.rawplcanada.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. You can just search us up, 100% Raw Powerlifting Canada. Make sure on the Canada side because there are, uh, we 100% Raw has various factions around the world, so make sure you get the Canada in the search, search bar. Same thing with uh, uh, Instagram, 100rawcanada is our is our Instagram handle and uh, basically every kind of every spot that says contact us is links to one of the executive and we love answering questions we love getting new lifters in the sport as far as registering for a meet um, like we have our world championships this year October 3rd to October 6th and we're that's invite only no, not anyone can go yeah. to that meet but our policy throughout the year is anyone can lift at any one of our meets there is no qualifying standard to get in any of our meets Unless there's a, like you know, an obvious example like the World Championships, yeah. that that requires a but but like, we're not here for the top one percent of the athletes. Yeah, those like the one percent of the athletes will always find success. We don't worry about them because they're going to yeah. get, get taken care of. Our concern is the other ninety nine percent. You know, let's give them an avenue and an outlet to show what they've done in the gym. And like I said, uh, we've had lifters as young as four. We've had lifters as old as ninety two. We've had Special Olympians, we've had uh, blind athletes, uh, we've had grandmas, we've had grandpas. We've Every single person deserves a spot on that platform to show what they've done. Completely agree. That's, that's one thing I absolutely loved about that meet was just the all-inclusiveness and just how everybody and everybody mm-hmm. was there. Yep. And it was just, it was a great atmosphere. I really love what you guys are done with, done with everything you do. <laughs> well, we're having fun. Yeah. All right, awesome. Thank you so much again for coming in. And anybody listening, this is an awesome sport to get involved in. Now's the time. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, I don't know how to turn this off, but we can edit.